This is The Guardian. Today, the government's introducing new restrictions on visas that could tear families apart. Why? Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Sean. I'm from Maryland in the United States of America, and I live in North Wales at the moment in Gwynedd. And what brought you to North Wales? Originally, I came to study a master's degree in 2019. I had a friend who lived in West Wales and heard her speaking Welsh one time with her parents and was like, oh, this sounds cool. And when I was looking into doing a degree in linguistics, I found a bilingualism program in Bangor. And I was really, really interested in studying bilingualism in a place where lots of people are bilingual every day. How far have you got with learning Welsh? So I'm conversationally fluent, I would say. I can have a good chat about everyday things. Sometimes I'll go a whole day only speaking Welsh, or I guess it's mostly Wenglish, but that's the Welsh around here. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking to Sean is a wonderful experience because when she starts talking about the Welsh language, she's so passionate. You know when somebody's face just lights up? This language that was so foreign to her that she didn't even know it existed at one point, has now, through perseverance, become her own. It wasn't long after she moved to Wales that she found another reason to stay and make this country her home. I met my now spouse, Charles, on Bumble about a month into living here. Wow. Yeah, and we actually met because, I don't know if it's still the case now, but you could link your favourite music. And all of mine at the time was like Welsh alt-rock. <laughs> and he he also really likes those bands. And he messaged me and said, oh, I went to uni with all of them, so I could introduce you someday if you'd like. And Oh my gosh, what a power move. It really was. He knew what he was doing. So really, it was sort of the Welsh language that brought us together initially, or at least got us over the first kind of awkwardness of messaging on a dating app. She and Charles knew it felt right. They lived together through the first lockdowns, and at the end of 2020, they got engaged. So we were married in the United States in December of 2021, and then as soon as we were married, I applied for a spouse visa. I was accepted for my visa on Welsh Valentine's Day, on Santa's Dwynwen Day. How did it feel to get that visa? I think I cried tears of joy when I got it. And so really thinking of Wales as your place, possibly forever. Oh, definitely, yeah. As soon as we got engaged, we knew that we wanted to settle in Wales. This is the place we want to make our home. We were so excited to just start our lives here. If a government minister were to hear about Sean, they might say she's the ideal migrant. Someone who's come here hungry to be part of the culture, who's ingratiated herself in her community and who's contributing to the economy. She works in the local shop. But Sean might not be able to stay in the UK for much longer because of new rules the government has introduced on family visas. 
Suddenly, they've more than doubled the amount the UK national in any partnership has to earn, to over £38,000. And tens of thousands of families are wondering what it will mean for them. From The Guardian, I'm Hannah Moore. Today in Focus, the families that could be split up by new immigration rules. Sean, how did you feel when this news came through about the changes to the family visa? Our wedding anniversary was December 1st, and I think it was December 4th, possibly, or 5th, that he came home and said, have you heard the news? He just explained what he'd heard on the radio at work that day. My reaction was just shock, and I think I cried. I started thinking about worst-case scenarios immediately about, you know, we've adopted a troubled dog, and I was like, they're not going to make us give up our dog, are they, if I have to leave? How much do you both earn at the moment? So I earn about 130 to 150 a week, depending on how many hours I get. I just work part-time. And his income is variable. So he's a parcel delivery person and he earns a wage by the parcel that he delivers. And he took this job so that he could work more hours and earn more money. He's also picked up some hours doing Uber food delivery driving. So there's many days where he's working 12, 13 hours a day. I think we had our only date of the month on Sunday this this week because he's been so busy and working so hard. Obviously, you don't want to be in a state of feeling sorry for yourself. You want to be practical. But it does strike me as particularly unfair that you've come here as somebody who is so passionate about this culture, who's tried really hard to learn the language, who's clearly ingratiated yourself in a small community, who has married somebody who is from the area, and it looks like you may not be able to stay. It's a particularly painful situation. I feel as if my community, my government, my country here are supporting me. And it's just the larger government of the United Kingdom hasn't really considered people in a position like mine. People who really have tried to be someone who contributes something to their community. And I'm I'm sure everybody has. That's the thing. We all come here and bring our skills and our dreams and we want to make this place our home and make it a better place for everyone who lives here with us. Rob Booth, you're the social affairs correspondent at The Guardian, and you've been reporting on the UK government's plans to raise the visa income threshold for the family visa from 18,600 to 38,700, more than double. Why have they said they're doing this? Well, the government has recognised that immigration is probably going to be a big issue at the general election, and they're going to try and make it a big issue. And the facts are that net migration, that is, the balance of people that are coming in and leaving the country in the last decade, has been historically high. It's been higher than at any time since 1911, in fact. And it's been unusually high in the last two years. Just to get a sense of that, the Office for National Statistics estimates that net migration to the UK was 745,000 people in 2022. And that compares to 184,000 people in 2019, before the pandemic. And so what the government is trying to do is tackle that. 
That rise in net migration is partially of the government's own doing, though, isn't it? Because they brought in incentives after Brexit to try and make more workers come over here from outside the EU. At the moment, migration into the UK is roughly a 30% to 70% split between Europe and the rest of the world. So the majority from the rest of the world. And there has been a big post-pandemic increase in the number of people from outside the EU coming to the UK specifically for work. I mean, there have been a couple of other things, like there's been about 85,000 people from Ukraine and Hong Kong in the past year alone. And there was about 220,000 people in the year to the end of September who have come as part of the care worker visa scheme. It's a lot of people to fill gaps in the workforce. Only 100,000 of those are workers and the rest are the dependents. One of the reasons that he's focusing on family visas is this feeling politically, I think, that they can justify immigration into the UK where it's showing direct contribution to society. But in cases where there are dependents who might not be working, and oftentimes aren't, that plays into voters' worries about housing supply, about GP appointments, about school places. And so I think the calculation is that. Yeah, I mean, it's based on the idea that the spouse who's coming across is going to be the lesser earner or not contributing when in fact they could be contributing a lot to the economy. There was something else that happened in in this package, actually, which is quite interesting, which is they've said that care workers who come over, who are obviously relatively low paid, won't have to meet this threshold, but they won't be allowed to bring their partners over all their children. So they'll have to come over on their own. And I've spoken to several care workers who bought their spouses and the first thing their spouses did was to start to train as care workers themselves. (laughs) So we were getting two for one as a society the idea that there's large numbers of people who are going to come over and, and do nothing, I think, is, you know, could be picked apart. Rishi Sunak has, of course, made cutting migration one of his central aims. How many people does he want to turn away in total and, and how well is he doing in reaching that target? The plan is to reduce it by 300,000 a year. He hasn't done very well so far since he took over in terms of either stopping the boats, which is one of his headline initiatives, or broadly cutting net migration, although it is down a little bit. But the truth is it's not an easy thing for any government to tackle. The big increase in foreign workers coming for jobs is because the economy simply needs these workers. I think the criticism that's been made of Sunak and his predecessors, and Labour makes this point, is that they have not done enough over the previous years to invest in the skills of British workers, to boost the skills of British workers, so that there's greater productivity amongst the the native workforce, if you like, and there would be therefore less demand for migrant workers. How many people could be affected by the changes to the family visas? It's quite hard to tell because on one level, we don't know how many families are not applying to come together, if you like, in the UK. But it looks pretty obvious that it's tens of thousands of people who are going to be directly affected by this. And of course, the whole thing about the, the family visas is that it sort of hits to the emotional heart of what the immigration story is all about. The great immigrant 
story is of coming to another country, settling down, making progress in life, contributing to society. And what this measure seems to be saying is we don't want the family unit, we just want the worker. And that means breaking up people who are in love. It means making very difficult choices for parents and how they handle who's going to look after the children. And it means really kind of painful consequences for those children as well in terms of probably having to live with one parent rather than two and everything that comes with that. So that's why, although it's a a relatively small number compared to the overall net migration statistics, It carries such emotional heft, and that's why it's kind of cutting through and causing so much consternation, I think. I was devastated, absolutely devastated. We're kind of this family unit of five people that does everything together. So what we had planned of getting old together with our family all in the same country, with our sons going off on their own journeys, may not be the case. We may end up on different sides of the world. This is Janine. She was born in the UK, but you can hear from her accent that she's travelled a bit. Last year, she decided to move home from South Africa, where she's been living with her husband and their three sons. The process of moving wasn't simple. Janine came over with her sons because they have citizenship through descent. But to bring her husband with her, she had to get £60,000 in a UK bank account before the family could apply for a visa so that everybody else could come across. We managed to scrape that together, thinking it was only going to be six months so that my husband could actually support everybody. I couldn't open a bank account because I didn't have a proof of address. So it took me until December of 2022 to actually open a bank account. But by that stage, because we were already almost nine months into the process, we'd started to chip into our £60,000 savings. So then I actually managed to get a full-time job just in October. I work in the community sector. So now we have all of the ducks in a row. We have an address, we have a bank account, we have a job that pays over what should be 18,600, but we have to wait for six months before we can actually apply. No longer will we need 18,600, but we'll need 38,700. So we are walking this tightrope of time. My husband's the CEO of a company, and so his wages could easily cover what was required, and he could actually come here on a spousal visa and work remotely in his existing job. So he wouldn't be taking a job from someone in the UK, and we could meet the threshold very easily. But that can't happen because I'm the one that's got to show that I can actually support him. Rob, how did the government decide on that figure, 38,700? Well, the 38,700 figure is actually exactly the same as the figure that they've chosen for another part of their immigration reforms. And so it's just in line with that. And it's in line with kind of the median full-time wage for skilled workers. And that's Mm. why they've chosen it for the skilled worker visa threshold. It seems like they've just read it straight across and said, we'll use that for the family visas as well. And there doesn't seem to be much more explanation than that. 
Right. Okay. Because that median figure is going to be taking into account wages in the southeast, which tend to be higher. So this is going to cause more problems for people outside the southeast, isn't it? You know, to get to that wage of 38,700. That's right. I mean, under the new threshold, and this is across the whole of England we're thinking about, more than 60% won't be able to afford it. But as you say, there are pay differentials in different parts of the country. So, for example, in the northeast of England, 75% of people wouldn't be able to afford to bring a loved one from abroad. And the other key areas that are, are badly affected by it, northeast, Yorkshire and the Humber, northwest, East Midlands. It's kind of predictable. It's the north-south divide, Wales, Northern Ireland, where, of course, the southeast, where wages are higher, are least affected. And it's not only going to affect people who are trying to come to the UK now, but also people who, in some cases, have been settled here for several years. There's a concern the rules could apply when people attempt to renew their visas. So, in other words, mm. you know, after five years, if you haven't actually got up to the new thresholds, then you would have to split the family in some way. Now, James Cleverly, the Home Secretary, has said that he considers that this policy should be a sort of forward-looking policy and shouldn't be retrospective, but we still haven't seen the detail on that, and so that there's that niggle certainly remains. I thought we were all plain sailing. I thought it was just going to be a case of just extending the visa we already had. And then three weeks ago, out of the blue, this announcement comes about the fact that the salary threshold is going up by a huge amount, and I don't qualify for that salary threshold. Richard Spooner met his wife Tang seven years ago on a dating app. They got on so well, and within six months, he was flying over to Thailand, where she's from, to go and hang out. Things moved quickly. Soon enough, Tang was pregnant with their first child. Charlotte's, uh, in a very young life, has racked up quite a few miles <laughs> going across the world between Thailand and England all the time. Tang's, she's intelligent. She worked in Thailand as a Thai-Japanese translator. Uh, we just gelled together really well, got the same sense of humour about things. Tang and their daughter stayed together in Thailand, while Richard and Tang worked together on getting a visa so that they could live together in the UK. It came through. Tang sold her home in Thailand, and now they live together as a family, along with their second baby. There has been some ups and downs, of course. It's been very hard at the start, being apart. But certainly since Tang's come here to the UK, apart from hating the weather, things have been really, really good. <laughs> the visa's up for renewal in July next year, which would have been fine. But now they feel uncertain about what's going to happen we would literally be forced to separate. You would have a one-year-old toddler who could no longer live with their mum. I mean, it is just absolutely a crazy situation that that could be allowed to happen. It's not right. What we're hoping is that common sense will prevail and that because Tang is already here, you know, we're hoping that there's going to be some exemption for people that are already here to extending their visa that will enable her to stay. I believe back when they introduced the first income rules some years ago, I, I understand that they did the same thing then. So I'm hoping they're going to do the same thing now. That's plan A. Plan B would be if they don't do that, then obviously we're going to have to try to stay on any way, in any way we can. Because our life is here now. There is no life anywhere else. Tang has nothing in Thailand. I don't have the ability to go and live in Thailand. I don't have sufficient grounds to get a permanent visa there. 
How do you feel about the way the government's handled this in terms of the policy itself and in terms of the way they've communicated it to families like yours? So I think the communication is dreadful. I mean, I think that we're just pawns in a game. This government is just now intent on as quickly as possible trying to reduce migration. I don't think they've thought this through at all. I think it's all going to backfire. And I think that people that are just trying to get on with their family lives, I mean, I think we're all being caught up really unfairly in this. I gather that it makes our our rules for having family visas one of the toughest in the world now. I mean, they shouldn't have announced this headline policy change without immediately being able to reassure people who are here and affected that they don't need to worry. So we'll find out in due course what happens, I suppose. Coming up, how families are fighting back against this policy. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus. Rob, it's very clear from the families that we've been speaking to that they feel they need more clarity on this situation. Is anybody advocating for them? Is anybody trying to challenge the government? They want more clarity, but they also don't want it to be happening because you yeah. know, the threshold is so high that it's going to change lives. So, yeah, no, there are groups that are battling for this. And I think Reunite Families UK is one of them. And it is an organisation that is, at the moment, kind of exploring the possibility of a legal challenge against what the Home Office has announced. How might that go? I mean, is there precedent for 
people in recent years challenging governments on immigration policy? Well, you know, there have been successes in exactly this area, actually. So the Supreme Court has previously pushed back against the government's visa rules. And that was in February 2017. Mm. The Supreme Court said that the government had a duty to, quote, safeguard and promote the welfare of children. So it was concerned at that point. And it said that where an applicant for a family visa fails to meet the income threshold decision makers had to consider circumstances which might mean that refusing to let that family come together might breach the right to family life which is part of the European Convention on Human Rights to which the UK is a signatory and actually helped draft many many decades ago so there are precedents for it you know they're in the early stages of exploring what legal action could be taken on in this case and I suspect that the kind of things that they might be looking at is what kind of impact assessments were carried out by the government before that they announced this questioning what you were questioning earlier which is how the actual threshold has been reached but certainly families are upset by this but they're also galvanized into taking some sort of action to push back. So what's the timeline with this policy from now onwards? They've said that this will become effective from spring. We still don't have any kind of impact assessment published. In fact, this week, MPs were on the Health and Social Care Select Committee were calling for the Home Office to publish the impact assessment. And that impact assessment will probably come when when the regulations are brought in. So there really is a relatively short window of probably three or four months in the new year in which to change this, if it is going to be changed. Rob, back in 2017, Keir Starmer, when he was shadow Brexit secretary, said that EU nationals should be exempt from the family visa income threshold after Brexit. So certainly at that time, it seemed like the Labour Party did have a lot of sympathy for people who were potentially in this situation. What is Labour's position on this now? Labour has done, I think, what it's done on a lot of different policies which is it's treading a fairly careful line when it was announced a labor spokesman said that on family visas we have real concerns about the policy they are saying that it would only lead to a relatively small reduction in numbers but would have a significant impact on families and couples they said there has to be a sensible approach to setting income thresholds but major changes should be informed by proper evidence and scrutiny. But what they're not saying is that they disagree with it and that they would overturn it themselves. Right. When Yvette Cooper, the Shadow Home Secretary, responded to this in the Commons, she said that Sunak was crashing about all over the place and saying that there was nothing in the statement about training requirements or workforce plans, in other words, the things that might actually improve the situation with labour shortages in the UK. So really, I think she was scoring points against him, but without disagreeing with it 100%. Rob, Rishi Sunak's facing a general election next year, and of course, he'll want to prove to his voter base that he's making good on his pledge to bring down immigration. But to a lot of people, this will seem like quite a counterintuitive way to do it, It's so emotive, the idea of breaking families up, and it's going to affect people across the country from different classes. Is this policy going to achieve what he wants it to? I mean, it does seem to be another one of those policies where 
created quite a lot of negative noise for the Conservative Party. It seems destructive to families without actually making a huge difference in the numbers. I think that it's part of a package that will generally attempt to appeal to parts of the electorate that are genuinely concerned about dependence, people who are over here not working, but are obviously using public services. And so it will allow him on the campaign trail to say that they're cracking down in different ways on that problem. The question is, how far do the families that are affected matter to the wider electorate? I don't know what image they had in their mind of the person who falls in love with someone from abroad, but I highly doubt they expected it to be so many varying professions and walks of life and stories of love and hopes for immigration. I really doubt they had any idea it was going to have this much impact, but the world is changing and people are falling in love in lots of different ways now, and despite our national differences. So hopefully the government can reconsider everyone's positions and come out with a policy that's more in line with the values of the nation and the wants of the people of the nations. That was Sean. You also heard from Janine and Richard. Thank you to all of them for talking to us for this episode. Rob Booth will be writing about this policy as it's being rolled out, so you can keep up to date with his work at theguardian.com. Now, it's probably not escaped your attention that it's only four days till Christmas. And if you're thinking of cutting down or completely cutting out on booze this time, then I'd have a listen to our sister podcast, Science Weekly. They've got an episode out today in which Maddie and Ian, the hosts, are sampling the new generation of alcohol-free drinks and exploring the science behind them. You can find Science Weekly wherever you got this podcast. That's it for today. I'm Hannah Moore. This episode was produced by George McDonough and Ned Carter-Miles. Sound design was by Rudy Zagadlo, and the executive producer was Phil Maynard. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Superlight Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.